Blockbuster new report making waves throughout the multifamily industry. A new report to research brief from Gray Capital Research on rent growth and performance in 2023. Welcome to Gray Report. I'm your host, Spencer Gray. And if you're a multifamily investor, active, passive, you're in the right spot where we are breaking down all of the latest research and information related to the multifamily industry, real estate, and the economy giving you those pieces of information to make some really well-informed decisions. Like I said, really interesting show today. We've got the new research brief from Gray Capital, as well as pieces from Globe Street, talking about WeWork headed towards disaster. Also from CBRE, the mid-year global real estate outlook. Piece from Real um, RealPage, talking about how rent growth is slipping. How much further could rents cool? We're going to be looking at some long-term year-over-year, as well as some month-over-month data. Mark Samilichap, CRE, transaction activity trends. You can imagine they're way down. And also from Institutional Property Advisors, another mid-year multifamily outlook. And then looking at some office to residential conversions. Two articles out this week, one from The Real Deal, one from Globe Street, talking about um, a, a uh, report from the federal government looking at the feasibility of converting office buildings to apartments little bit of a spoiler, but it's much more challenging than most would like it to be. And then more analysis from the Great Capital team. We got Dr. Matt Bostonago. Let's get into it. Welcome back to the Gray Report, joined by Dr. Matt Bostonago. Hello. Director of Communications and Marketing here at Great Capital. Um, Matt, we're wearing the same thing today. Looking good. Yeah, that's I look, right. like the shirt. Um, bound to happen sometimes. It bound to happen. Yeah, we, we, we guess we need to get some more gear. Yeah, yeah. Get some more gear. We need to get a shop so everyone can buy some Great Capital swag. Yeah, yeah. Um, we, we digress, though. Uh, Matt, we've had some comments from some listeners mm-hmm. uh, renaming the show. Uh, the founder and the doctor, which I thought was interesting. Yeah, it is a funny name, uh, only because uh, the doctor is funny to me. (laughs) Yeah, well, not the good kind. That's always, I always have to. Well, maybe, maybe not the like, you know, bones and, you know, medical doctor. I went uh, to grad school. We went to PhD. I tell, I tell people it's like, uh, it's like a puzzle you hang on the wall. Um, it doesn't really help you get a job. It makes you look kind of nerdy. Um, and, and yeah, just. If you thought about wearing glasses, do look go full. And maybe go all the way. Anyway, like. Hey, that's that's okay. Well, Matt, how are things going for you this week? I mean, we just uh, released the rent report yesterday. I know there's been a lot of effort. We'd mentioned it previously on the mm-hmm. show, but um, you know, now that that has been released, and you can go find it um, over at uh, GreatCapitalLLC.com/slash/rent-report. Um, just go to GreatCap.net. New way to get to us as well. Yep. But Matt. Putting together this report, mm-hmm. what do multifamily rents look like and um, what's the outlook? Say? So, um, yeah, we, we we put together this report um, just to kind of summarize. It was it started. I really uh, it started about a year ago yeah. where um, and it was an outgrowth of the stuff of the stuff that we were doing at Gray Capital, which was, you know, keeping people informed, um, chasing after the latest rent reports that come along every month. And there are eight of them that we've really identified as ones that continually give you monthly rent growth data. Um, Problem number one is the ones that come out every month, those are about a year ahead of the CPI. Hmm. So we're all, and and people are well familiar with that. 
Problem number two is there's eight of them, well, and they're not the same. Cool. Okay, so <laughs> let, let's just back up a little bit and, un- and unpack it a little bit, Matt, yeah. because I think a lot of our viewers, listeners, are familiar um, with uh, the fact that CPI and um, month-over-month rent growth are different. What is, but what is the difference? So when I, because CPI is coming out um, tomorrow, mm-hmm. and a piece of this report basically states that CPI rent growth contradicts market reality. So what is the difference for those that don't understand or may not fully understand when I'm seeing, yeah. when when I see rent growth on the CPI report that comes out tomorrow, and that's different from what I'm seeing in one of these market-based um, reports, what is the difference? In a nutshell, um, CPI measures all the rents. So it's either from renewals, whether you're currently pay- you know, what you're currently paying, as well as new rents. And then the stuff from the private rent growth trackers is is mainly measuring new rents. So we're talking about the rents that you get if you're just starting out and versus the rents that you pay with that everyone pays on average. Yeah. And and when I say leading indicator, so the new rents lead the CPI by about a year, by about 12 months. Yeah. 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 So it's not, you know, it's not that CPI is bad data. They're just measuring an average of all the rents versus all the new all the new rents. Yeah. So like a rent that was signed 10 months ago, you know, and let's say that it was well below where market rents are today, which mm-hmm. that may not be the case anymore. But let's just like for, let's just say that it was. Yeah. That's going to show that a CPI may show that rents are lower than compared to yeah. w- new leases that are being signed today. So like what I see, if I go to apartments.com or wherever, or if I'm signing a new lease, I'm a new tenant, new resident, I'm going to pay, you know, whatever the list price is. Versus someone that's been living at an apartment community, they're renewing their lease. Maybe it's a big increase. Maybe it's not flat. Mm-hmm. Maybe something somewhere in between. Versus, um, you know, you could be a long-standing resident of years, and maybe your rent yeah. has increased. Mm-hmm. So it, it's looking at just kind of what the the effect of rent on the average American. Which so that's not a bad data point. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It is the pressure of rents, the what people are paying out of the pockets on average. It is a, and I think we've we've talked about this before, and and like how you know it's the impact of the pocket on their pocketbook. Yeah, it's just not a a representation of the market. Yeah, and so that that's I think that's the um the distinction mm-hmm. of when we're looking at or when the when we're looking at this data because we were looking at the CPI print. It's basically what the inflation number is. That's what the Federal Reserve is going to be looking at to be setting interest rates. But when we're looking at, okay, where is the rental market today? Where are we like headed today on the market rents versus that's, these are things that happened a year ago. Yeah. And I would argue that the current rents are a valid indicator and could, you know, it may, those current rents may not be a representation of the pocketbook. But they are a representation of the push-pull and negotiations Mm -hmm. that create the price in a way that a lot of the other goods in the CPI market basket are. You know, gas prices is a constant negotiation of, you know, know, well, there's some external factors there. But there are other, but there are a bunch of other good, like eggs. Those are bought and sold every day. And um, it's what I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm paying that price every day. I'm not looking at my, I didn't buy my eggs last year. Yeah, exactly. I didn't didn't set my, fix my price, my eggs last year. (laughs) Yeah. It does, it does make sense, but it it also explains why um, when we saw rents declining at the end of 2022 and beginning of 2023, 
But then the CPI report coming out and that would show huge gains in rents. And yep. we're looking, we're looking at it on these the market surveys, like rents just falling across the country, besides the Midwest, I guess. Mm-hmm. But the CPI would show a huge gain. So there was a big discrepancy there. And now when rents so now what we're going to see, you know, rents are, you know, kind of normal. They've been normalizing, but they've been growing. Yeah. But they're going to be growing as CPI starts to, uh, the rents and CPI are going to start to show a real slowdown and decline. Yeah. And so the narrative is going to be like, oh, rents are really declining. And it, it's like, yes, they did, but now they've recovered. So it's almost like we're in like a time. It's really capsule. interesting too, because this time capsule has never been sharper because we're dealing with a multi-year, yeah. Uh, we're, we're we're a lagging year, but we're really dealing with about a two-year um, price spike. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, from from baseline up to the highest, back to the baseline. That you know, that could be what is it? It's a dang near two years, and so yeah, yeah you're so going to get a lag. Look, look at the graph that's that you included on the report. I mean, we saw the big increase, and and. CPI, is, it, that's what, is that what this is, this yeah, dark yeah. line? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's obviously, it's much more smooth. And, I mean, it does start increasing eventually, but you saw that it was still increasing while market rent growth had just completely, you know, fallen off yeah. a cliff. And now, as market rents are picking back up, it's making its way down. So, it, it's it's a really interesting phenomenon because we mm-hmm. typically there isn't this much movement in rents. Yeah, you know, yeah. It's usually a little bit up or flat. And then, I mean, during a recession, you know, rents can come down, but mm-hmm. typically it's just like, you know, kind of slow and steady growth. So there aren't as big of discrepancies. It's not as yeah. big of a question, but I mean, you know, housing makes up a third of overall CPI mm. and and why this matters to anyone that's investing in, yeah. in anything, trying to figure out where inflation is going to go is we know that work should see rents really start in CPI yep. showed a really cool um, coming up that, you know, what they did in uh, July mm-hmm. and in August. And then really by September, they should may, they should may even be negative, have negative growth. Yeah. I mean, we're talking about a good three quarter point, uh, not knocking off three quarters of a point of inflation. Maybe it's core inflation. Yeah. Um, just because of how much we have to drop yeah. in in specifically in rent of primary residence. I'm not even talking about housing prices, you know, those are yeah. but the but this drop in because it's about eight percent or so, yeah. maybe eight to ten, depending on if you're doing core or, you know, everything, uh, it, it's gonna have a really big effect yeah. on on uh top line inflation. Yeah. I think I think the big question, I think you know, we could confidently say that okay, that we're gonna see inflation come down mm-hmm. um top line headline inflation the big question you know is uh really the energy market and yeah, um, yeah. of where you know energy prices if they really surge that's what i've been thinking and there's a lot not about. as much supply and there's there's much more conversations around that so that's i think that's the other kind of inflation driver mm-hmm. to, to watch um so i don't think we can say you know for for sure yeah, you know, certainly, but there's certainly a recipe for inflation to at least show that's going to continue to cool down yeah, the end yeah. of the year. Um, in general, kind of a slowdown, people are calling for, which makes sense. Yeah. Then also around the same time, you know, if we do start seeing some distress in commercial real estate, it should be coming up. And I'm going to, I'm probably going to be repeating this it's okay. <laughs> throughout, the, throughout the report, but I was talking to you beforehand and in, it is almost like we are facing, um, you, you know, 
earlier in the year, I was like, well, what's, what's happening? And we are facing two different scenarios that could play out. Um, one is higher for longer. I'm talking about higher interest rates, maybe even a little bit higher inflation where we enter a monetary tightening regime or, you know, an inter- mm-hmm. a, a whole in- a whole regime, a yeah. whole long-term thing where interest rates are just higher and we just have to live with it. Um, that means no recession because the other, res- the other, the other scenario is a recession triggers interest rates going lower. Yeah. It's got to um, get flushed yeah. out and yeah, the full correction take place. History says number two. It should. Yeah. Yeah. It should, it should. And, and I think we're, you know, in commercial real estate in particular, you know, we are, I would say halfway through or halfway through a correction. Yeah. Uh, maybe three quarters, you know, nobody, nobody knows, but you know, we're in the middle of a correction. It's called that. We're not seeing a crash. I think the fundamentals, these of multifamily don't really set us up for a, a crash, mm-hmm. but I do think that we have to get through and flesh out the correction before the market can really kind of reset. Yeah. And just looking at, you know, basic, you know, returns, you know, rel- of multifamily cap rates and then relative to other investments, I-, I see us getting closer. I'm seeing more deals coming out in the six cap range, six to seven cap range, which they need really need to be to make mm-hmm. sense to, of an investment relative to but, other. But if there's rate. a recession that comes on and lowers interest rates, that changes. That changes it. That makes it, it makes sense. It, All of a sudden, it doesn't have to go to seven caps. Yeah, yeah. And and that, the fact that, I mean, people are calling for, and CBRE is one of them, are calling for a recession in um, Q4 to Q1 mm-hmm. of 2024. Yeah. And it's like, I, you know, in a certain way, it's almost like a rescue of the sellers that are waiting on uh, cap rates to come back down, maybe the environment to be a little bit friendlier, yeah. and the math to work out. It, it, it'll help the math, but the problem may be, it, it's going to be interesting. I mean, like a recession doesn't typically make things like easier yeah, to like transact and credit. Yeah. It's not going to get, uh, it's going to get tighter before it gets looser. Yeah. And, um, but you know, who, who knows? I mean, it may, um, the panic of a recession, mm-hmm. um, could, you know, the, there be certain ty- types of accommodation and bailouts. We already know the federal reserve has given out guidance um, to lenders and commercial real estate yeah. to make, you know, accommodations for these workouts, for these loan modifications. Um, I think it's so bad, you know, is there some kind of, you know, bail, bailout that could, yeah. you know, which is not what the market needs. I mean, mm-hmm. we need to kind of flush all this through, um, so we can kind of reset. Yeah. Yeah. Get moving again. But, uh, um, fear typically drives people to make decisions that are beneficial in, in the short term, um, but can, yeah, layer on issues for the long term. Yeah, yeah. So, and, and we've had a lot of those um, that have been layering up. Matt, I, I I just also want to just mention as part of the report, and again, check out this report, graycapitalllc.com slash rent dash report. Um, looking really featuring uh, a handful of markets. Looking at their rent growth. Now, this is year over year rent growth, man. Yes. Year over year rent growth, rent to income and new supply. So we're looking at kind of like where, what it has been doing in terms of, of demand in, in the form of rent growth. Um, looking at uh, how affordable the market is mm-hmm. currently. And then also looking at how much new supply is coming on into the market relative to existing supply. Uh, Matt, you know, and, and some of these, and some of these numbers, Matt, are lower on the new supply numbers are lower than on previous reports. And so I first wanted to ask you uh, yeah. about that because like I'd seen Salt Lake City, like punching up against like 10% new supply relative to existing inventory. Yeah. These just 
the, the freshest numbers. I took the current supply as the denominator and the new supply coming, the new deliveries in that 12 month period yeah. as the numerator. And, um, and that's what you got for most of them. Now, I would note that the rent to income is going to be skewed. It, the population is all households. So it's so it includes homeowners as well as um, as well as renters. But, uh, you know, uh, what it's is still, useful, it's still really tracking. Yeah. And what's useful is as a way for to compare. So maybe the absolute number may not be right, but I'm I'm sure that, you know, the relative affordability of, you know, Miami versus uh, Chicago or Minneapolis, like that's going to probably track. Uh, yeah. And, you know, I. I was actually a little bit, there was some studies that I've seen where Miami, the rent to income was a lot lower than it is. But, but when I did the math there, it's, it's high enough where it kind of just, okay, this is, it does make sense that it's expensive yeah. to live in Miami, yeah. which has the high, um, I'm sorry, second highest, uh, rent to income at 40.94. Uh, you know, number one is New York, obviously at 44.62, but, um, these come closer to some of the estimates that mm -hmm. I had where people were saying, you know, People are spending some, if you live some places, sometimes you're spending half your rent yeah. or half your income on rent. Yeah. And so, yeah, it d definitely does track with, with some of the, from the stories that you hear. Um, and it looks like there's about a hundred, one point, but basically a million multifamily units under construction. Yeah. Um, as of Q2 2023. So obviously those aren't just being all delivered in the same year, but that's still a lot of units under construction. Um, but we need a lot of units throughout the country also. Yeah, there was a there was a um, an article that I didn't I uh, didn't make the video. It will make the newsletter <laughs> uh, that construction times are still uh, are still rule delayed. Yeah. 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 Awesome. Oh, oh yeah. One more thing I did yeah. want to know, and I'm glad you have this up here, too, is, you know, the, the real driving reason behind me um, finding these uh or, or me tracking these is I wanted to figure out what the difference is in the variability between these individual, these eight individual rent sources, um, you know, and so here the most in, indicative chart that I have that shows how different these are yeah. is uh, the month to month. You see um, Redfin clearly the most volatile of all of these sources. They've actually, um, they have, they don't put their month to month rent growth on their, on their rent reports anymore. Um, what you have to do is do a thing, do, do math. <laughs> what? So the numbers there, but they don't have it because I think it's because they may know that that their numbers are a little more jumpy than other numbers. Yeah. So Redfin hit set almost seven percent month over month rent growth in November 2021. Did it hit it? Did their numbers come? I'm I'm not sure how that how that shakes out. Um, Crazy annualized figure. Yeah. I exactly. Um. And I think that it was numbers like those that maybe made them think, okay, we're we're just going to hide our month to month. Um, but it, but it shows that like you can't rely on one source. You got to measure them against each other because if that was your picture of the market, yeah. um, then you're going to go insane. And, and Redfin gets their REM reports get a lot of media attention too. They do, yeah. They're a very prominent uh, a prominent source that perhaps perhaps a little more shaky, a little more volatile. Now, I mean, the, is it higher frequency? I mean, is is it is it getting us, you know, um, better data? Is it just the data is more volatile than some of the other re the tra reports? Okay, or so that, what's your thought? Is, is it really good, good or I don't think good? that a, a lot of these sources, and I looked at the methodology of all these sources, Redfin has a scant like one or two lines of their methodology. Yardi Matrix has, has a whole, you know, document that, that defines terms and, um, an apartment list does it equally really well and just outlines the equations yeah. that they use and the process are very upfront. And, it, and is, Red, is Redfin um, taking their, is it 
more skewed towards single family home data versus multifamily? Uh, I wonder if they have a they have a robust set of of information on single family homes. Maybe the rental market, maybe their numbers are just lower. That would make sense. I I could none of these sources actually reveal the number of, of their data set, hmm. and that I can kind of really understand. Yeah, it's that. proprietary. <laughs> but it, but uh, I I would think that a lower sample size would be a lot more swingy up and down yeah. than if it's a, you know, yeah. than it's a bunch it's, of them. It's true. Um, and also, um, you know, if they're using any sort of, you know, modeling and, and trying to even it out and maybe it doesn't yeah. even out, maybe it makes it more extreme to so just, you know, a, a more of a, an asterisk when you're looking at some of these reports mm-hmm. to know to take some with a little bit more grain of salt than others. And so if you see a, a Redfin rent report that's really spiky and extreme, yeah. maybe like, well, okay, maybe I should read another one or just yeah. pop on over and- to a Great cap, a great, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, 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 we're gonna, I, I want to find a little, we can have our little real clear average. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right, Matt, let's move on to this um, report. Uh, it just came across the wire. Um, we work, um, famous co working firm uh, that has had much trouble in the past, is at risk for bankruptcy. Has co working died, Matt, as you and I were talking about? This is pro. I think, yeah, it, it sort of has to do with, with co-working, mm-hmm. um, but probably more to do with WeWork. Yeah. Um, but taking this so we can get through it, co-working, has that died? Are, are people just working from home now? Like instead of like, this early on, mm-hmm. and, and then I'm going to shut up, you know, early, you know, before the pandemic, you were starting a business, you, you know, get have a little startup, you're starting something. Yeah. Hey, we, need, we need to get together in a spot. You, you rent a re- uh, we work because mm-hmm. um, it's way cheaper and more flexible than running, you know, space. You have to have, you know, five, yeah. 10 year lease. But now, but it wasn't cheap because, you know, mm-hmm. I looked at it into it at a point and it, it was not cheap. Um, but now, like if you're in a startup, like why spend that money when you could, everyone is so used to, and mm-hmm. we all have the tools to work remotely and we're all kind of have our home offices set up. So it, I, I can see, I give some credence to, fact that there's just not the demand for co-working space that there used to be but i could be i could be wrong too i don't know i wonder if they were they set their rules up they set up a little bit of a business plan or at least they got kind of entrenched in kind of pre-pandemic paradigm of yeah you sign up your whole company to a we work you get these startups they sign up to a we work they don't um and yeah. and maybe they didn't jump on the transition from remote working and the so so the movement away from the office could also mean that you rent flexible, that you rent reworks. You're, That's you, true. You give up your lease. Instead of signing a, maybe a longer term lease with, yeah. with WeWork, you get, they jump into maybe shorter term leases or they help these companies that are downsizing their office space by saying, hey, we can rent you yeah. uh, some flexible space and you can see how this kind of works out. I, I definitely think uh, co-working has like a has a place and it's, it's not going away. Yeah. Um, but uh, you know, they the model of basically, you know, arbitraging of, you know, what we work would do with like lease out a big space mm-hmm. or like a whole building or, and then from a, an owner and then they would sublease that and they break it down, fractionalize it, build out a cool space to work. Yeah. And in, in arbitrage, you know, the difference between, you know, um, you know, they're basically buying wholesale, selling retail, you know, yeah. in terms of their leasing. I can't imagine the off, I mean, office, I mean, is down, so that's gotta hurt them. Do you think that actually there could be a co-working resurgence because of um, maybe some of the desperate opportunities in the office s- sector of like, hey, we've got all this square footage. I bet so. Vacant. Let's just turn it into a co-working space. Yeah, I, I bet so. You know, there is a in as this as office reorients itself 
I think that companies don't know yet how much people are going to come back to the office and they're going to want they're not going to want to sign up for maybe a five year lease if yeah. they don't know where things are going. And we could kind of step in or um, IWG, <laughs> which is a rival of WeWork that yeah. is actually flourishing. Um, maybe that's kind of what they're doing. And one of their quotes, uh, the quote from the CEO of IWG, which again is uh, is doing well and and not unlike WeWork, their quote is, uh, the narrative hasn't yet, yet caught up with reality. And reality is large corporations globally are moving to a much more flexible approach to how they support their people. They're moving towards hybrid working and it's universal, universal and it's gathering pace. Um, yeah, it may, be, it may be just that they're set up to kind of jump on the the decisions that businesses have to make and get, and they're giving him that that flexibility yeah well see i don't think the story is fully written for um co-working but uh, it looks like at least we work specifically um looks like they made some specific m- mistakes relative you know we work made some mistakes yeah and who knows we they could you know part of their these bankruptcy discussions could be inherited problems from from their earlier collapse and nothing really to do with how they're doing now or the state of the market it's just, you know, it was a uh, a little bit of bloated of an, an organization, perhaps. <laughs> yeah. Matt, moving, staying on the kind of the office track, there was an article on The Real Deal. Um, office to resi conversions are financially feasible, but just barely, according yep. to a report um, from the National Bureau of Economic Research. Yeah, I, I thought this was really interesting, and it goes against... Um, what, you know, what I've been saying, so maybe does, I'm wrong. But does it? <laughs> well, it okay. It's a big report. It's 46 pages. I don't know. We, we literally just came across the desk today, so I don't even know if we had time to completely review it. But what you have read, Matt, um, what, what, what are the conclusions? So under these conditions, now they're ta- the, the title is, uh, what is it? From brown offices to green apartments. Um, yeah. The brown offices are the kind of B and C class uh, offices, and yep. they're talking about converting those into uh green energy efficient uh apartments now okay. uh, what you know the top line numbers and i'm just going to put this out there they said that developers under ideal if it's just market rate 16.8 percent irr um for the developer now it's pretty good i mean for a develop for a develop here's here's the thing mm-hmm. so 16 some irr um that sounds pretty re- sort of attractive mm-hmm. um for a like a you're more v- a vanilla for a vanilla yeah commercial estate deal like, okay it's 16 nice yeah but for a i would call opportunistic mm-hmm. pro- uh development redevelopment um where you're doing a full conversion a redevelopment a full lease up a rebrand a remarket i'd like to see a punch in over 20 percent IRR. okay now okay. maybe that's hard to do now in this market with finding anything's hard to pencil like that in this market mm. with interest rates with leverage with this type of project being new so the amount of lenders that are going to be comfortable with it are going to be few and far between so i might be excited but 16 percent um wouldn't get me like jumping up and down relative to the, ri- the, the risk and return but it's not but it's but it's feasible yeah yeah feasible okay. feasible so and and i was also wondering that to, so they're all so academics putting together. Well, performance. yeah, there and and uh, I I haven't completely <laughs> processed a lot of their a lot of their stuff. It's pretty uh, in depth in here, and and I would recommend really re- reading the real deals um, summary. However, I was really curious about some of their figures here. W- ultimately, they're starting at 
or their their starting assumptions kind of is that this office, this brown office building has to be uh, at 40% of the value that it had pre-pandemic. Mm, yeah, okay. Um, so, so the value that of- Sounds bad. That's actually maybe a little better than I thought, higher than yeah. I thought. So you, you've got to start with a cheaper building and um and you have to do it in the right place with the right regulations um but all of that considered they say that 15% of office space is actually physically suitable for conversion so only 15% of all existing office space is even yes yeah, it's physically suited now uh, and and this and I need to dig in specifically they that 15% number could be um brown office buildings specifically these bnc class and I would Actually, I would think that that's right because I'm guessing that those brown buildings are kind of smaller. They're not like the high rise, maybe have a smaller footprint, but yeah, I'll, I'll have to check that either way. Um, if you take, if you take the, um, remove the buildings that have long-term tenants in place, that 15% number only goes down to 13%. So still there are 13% of these kind of empty-ish brown office buildings that Feasibly, hey, I mean that's a chunk. I mean, yeah. that's, I mean, like we've I, a lot more than I thought. Yeah, that is more. It's better, way better than eight percent or you know five percent. Yeah, yeah. Still, um, a really interesting. You know what they say about the IRR now. I I think that the risk is got to be uh is is a big part of it. And um, they do. The, now are these also so when they say and sorry to interrupt Matt, but yeah, the, the green market rate apartments. Are are there are they doing more work to make them That's, environmentally so friendly? That I didn't. You wouldn't have to do. I didn't That's dive cool. into that because, and I wonder, you know, is that what you have to do to get a government paper written? Put a green yeah, A in there. I yes. But like, I'm more. I I, I will be completely. Honest, you know, I have nothing against green energy. Yeah, um, no. Or why not? Things or whatever. I bet that making it green makes it a little more expensive. Sometimes. You can have multi. It's sometimes there can be conflicting goals and incentives, mm -hmm. and people trying to do really good things um, can get caught up in trying to do too many good things all at the same yeah. time. Um, you know, w when I was more in, in kind of the agriculture space, I remember going to a couple of nonprofits, and um, this one nonprofit they were um, employing um, current inmates of mm -hmm. a women's prison to come on and work on the farm to get like uh experience and just just mm -hmm. job training and they weren't like working on that hard i mean it was like a, it was a very like crunchy organic yeah. farm environment in um oregon and but they were also growing food to like send back to the prison mm -hmm. and um but then they were also all trying to do everything organically which was like great but then like but they were you know the people were learning about it so like the results and the production wasn't that great and i remember asking like well if that were just growing conventionally and non-organic so you can grow more food yeah um uh, is, is the goal to give people like some job experience yeah. help them to get off and provide some food or is it to lean into the organic movement? Yeah. Like, and you know, some of these things are conflicting. Yeah. Um, you get a lot more carrots. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, do we want, do you want to just grow more food? Yeah. Or, and now they're in, in, in their mind. And I, and I get is it, it's like, if we're going to do it, we're only going to do it organically. Mm -hmm. Like that's in their mind. And I think it's the same mindset of if we're going to do this, if we're going to build in, in new buildings, or if we're going to go through this effort to do it, let's build them for the future and make them as environmentally um, you know, friendly and as efficient, yep. sustainable as possible, but, um, providing affordable housing and providing, um, sustainable buildings 
are, are somewhat in conflict. Yeah. Because the more expensive it is to implement some of these environmental, um, you know, policies and yeah. to, to build, to convert the building that way, you're going to have to charge more in rent. Mm. And again, you can say like, well, that just is what it is. And that's the only way we're going to do it. But then we have a, we have a housing crisis and affordability crisis yeah, still. Yeah. And so what are we solving for? Yeah. I, that's, that's what I was interested. I was interested. It's like, if you, yeah, if you want to alleviate housing, you know, maybe you don't need to make it completely green. However, let's get rid of the red tape. And, and again, it's more barriers and regulations yeah. that, that are getting in the way of housing. It's like, it's not a bad idea. Mm-hmm. And there's ways there's, you know, the care, you know, there's ways to incentivize it. Mm-hmm. Um, like through financing, giving slightly better terms, mm-hmm. which is what they've done in the multifamily sector. And there's definitely ways to do it that don't like prevent, but, it, but I just wish that maybe the working paper wouldn't have like focus only on that. Yeah. It throws another variable. It throws another variable in there. That's like, yeah. I, I just want to clean, like, all right, they make a really interesting point, man, that 15% number or, yeah. you know, and yeah. the, that yeah. IRR is like, wow, that's more than I've ever yeah, thought that, of. That to me, that, that definitely is showing that it's closer. Um, yeah. Uh, again, again, you know, I think some Sometimes, of this is in, you know, it's like in New York City also, yeah. things can be a little bit different than other, and, other markets. And they're, they're talking about, you know, tax considerations. And and I think Greenhouse that gas, a lot of the argument, some for like green investment or, or, or for things like this, I can, I'm sure they're like, oh yeah, well you'll pay less in energy bills or something, but I'm not sure. Oh yeah, the no, offset no, there. sure. And then that's the thing. A lot of times it, it makes a lot of sense economically mm-hmm. to make things more efficient. I mean, yeah, efficiency is good. Bills mm-hmm. going down is very good. Safe so, environment is good also. Yeah, yeah. I'll just see if we can be profitable and actually economically sustainable to continue to yeah. do that thing. Yeah. So uh, as as RealPage uh, or as the as the real deal pulls out, this uh, this plan is really only feasible in places like San Francisco yeah. and New York. I think they might have said Boston too. There are a select. Yeah, there's a map. I'll go back to um, Indianapolis is not one of them. Yeah, that's okay. That's because our real estate's a little more. Less volatile. So you can, yeah. So there's, you know. I mean, think about places with a lot of office buildings, they're mm-hmm. probably not going for cheap. Um, places with high rents um, also, so you can get a big premium yeah. once you bring them to market rate. Um, so yeah, it, it's. Big yeah. in the Northeast, you got some in the LA area, in the San Francisco area, yeah. Chicago, um, but really. They, they actually they list the amount of candidates okay. um, in all these markets. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Well, um really uh really promising for people that keep uh keep dreaming about office conversions now i still think that uh despite the optimism of this report it's still gonna be heavy lift heavy lift so it's gonna i mean people will do it yeah it'll be yeah. done but we'll, we will we will continue to see totally right updates yeah okay matt moving next to this uh cbre economic outlook that we have mid-year global real estate outlook yeah um first one first one very you know real estate is very local so starting global um that's okay though because we you know we can start global and get in a, we can narrow our sights in a little bit uh this is yeah. a video from richard um barkham uh the global chief economist at cbre what does uh what does mr richard so- have to say um, yeah, this was a really interesting, uh, interesting look and, you know, the, the, he, he makes some comments about how the U S compares with other countries a little bit and how, um, and really a nice overview of the, uh, of the current, of the current U S situation yeah. and some of the factors that are pressing on these markets. 
Um, can't get into everything. It, yeah. This is a series of videos that I wish was a PDF, but that's fine. They're really good videos. Matt, and they don't do you know? Don't you know? No one reads anymore. I know. I know. They're not watch video. That's why we have the great report. Uh, that's uh, why we're doing what we're doing. Point, good point. All right, we're summarizing here. Um, and right off the bat, they really hit us with kind of a no nonsense take. The host, which is researcher Julie Whelan, asks global chief economist Richard Barkham, who I think you see here. Um, she says we expect a recession in 2023. Uh, or she's sorry, she said, Richard, at the start of the year, your exact words for the U.S. economy were, we expect a recession in 2023, but we're not overly pessimistic. Do you agree with that statement? And what are your views globally? And then Barkham replies, he said, I would still agree with that statement, Julie. And I would say that the situation in the global economy has improved over the last six months, particularly in the U.S. and Asia. But I would also caution that we're still at peak interest rates and will be there for the next six months. So the downside or nasty downside or the possibility of that has not fully receded. I say it's okay to change your mind. <laughs> I think you have to be, I think you have to be humble in this environment because yeah. it's okay. Because again, like nobody, no, no one knows. Mm -hmm. Like we can have, we know some things, but we don't know it all. We never will know it all. Yeah. And we've never, no one's lived, lived through or studied mm -hmm. a good analog to this environment, you know, post pandemic. Um, but I mean, even like going back to the Spanish um, flu, um, you know, there was, you know, a world war going on. Yeah. Obviously technology was in a different place. Money was a different place. Just mm -hmm. the whole world technology. So it's not like, it's not the exact same. So we don't, how do we, how do we react? Yeah. Yeah. And then how do we react for you know, a war in Ukraine? Um, mm -hmm. and AI and yeah. stuff like, you know, LK99, you know, the superconducting. It, and the aliens, they're coming. And aliens. How, how do you factor that all in? Yeah. yeah. So be humble. You know, if you didn't have, if you didn't have the UAPs or the aliens in your model, it's, a, it's all right. right. Neither did we. <laughs> the black swan. It's, you got, it's okay. But, um, you know, so he does, he does give some caveats and say, and says really that the lane for, what do you say? The path to the soft landing in the, in the United States is certainly wider than it was. Um, but he does note that some of the European economies are struggling. Um, Germany's not doing as great as it could. Obviously, there's there's a war still. Yeah. Um, but well, they also, you know, they take six weeks off in the summer. Yeah, that's right. yeah, maybe <laughs> that's good. I mean, which sounds odd, which sounds yeah. odd, which sounds great. But I mean, they're like, why are we as productive? Well, why? I wonder. <laughs> are we getting much stuff done? Uh, it's uh, but he does, you know. There's places in Asia that are doing okay. I think he he was pretty uh pretty optimistic about Japan mm. and and how they're doing. So it's not a universal like I thought that the picture of the economy was that the U.S. and this still is largely I think characterizing the U.S. is doing a little bit better than everyone else. Yeah. Um. And and we've we've bounced back in a way that that Europe definitely hasn't. But it seems like Asia is uh is not as scary of a place. Although you know I still I still think that you know China is this great big question uh yeah i was just gonna say china being you know the obviously the biggest player in yeah. in, in asia and how they've seen a lot of you know slow slow growth in their economy and, and maybe not as much stimulus as people were thinking that they were going to, to mm. be pumping um there were some issues i think in their property sector that came up recently again so yeah yeah that, that's a big big question and obviously a big engine for global growth yeah yeah um so but ultimately despite these caveats his prediction and this is the series really prediction that everything really flows from this and and i talk about these two scenarios and they are on the side of a, a negative gdp in q4 of this year and q4 and q1 of 2024 and then capital markets expected to pick up in q1 of 2024 as i think 
interest rates come down as a reaction to the the recession. Yeah. Um. He Reasonable. does. Yeah. He does say he does include like a little bit of pricing adjustment that needs to take place. Yeah. And I, I think, think that, I think that makes a a lot of sense. Um. Other than we just continue to be surprised by strong growth. I think we've yeah. revised some GDP numbers from mm-hmm. this spring and summer, and they came back as stronger than originally um yeah. in, mm-hmm. recorded. Um, so I think that narrative makes a ton of sense. Um, especially again, talking about commercial real estate and some of the cliffs may go off at near the end of the year and just other things mm-hmm. that, you know, it wasn't just commercial real estate that, you know, kind of volumes peaked in the end of 2021 and then it's two years later. And there's a lot of things that are going to be catching up to, you know, the U S and global economy. Yeah. Um, so I, I think, I think we will, we will know a lot more you know, in January. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I do, you know, I do wonder how, uh, how divergent these, these things are going to be because he does say, you know, if it does, you know, the interest rates at the very least are going to stay high for six months. Yeah. Um, according to yeah. their, according to their projections. I just, I, I get, unless there's like an absolute crash, I can't see them just falling. Yeah. Precipitously. Me, I mean, yeah, me neither. And, and again, this is the, the counter example would be higher for longer. Headaches are still there. You know, I, 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 and people may characterize it. But what is long, But what is longer? You know, for you're saying six months. Are we talking about years? years. Are we talking about five? You know, five the next decade. I, I think maybe five, maybe maybe. Yeah. I don't. And and this is where this is. I'm I'm imagining a fanciful yeah. <laughs> something that hasn't happened in decades. But do we, so do we think that inflation? So you know, inflation um, last month was you know three percent. You know how high do rates need to be for how long? And and what for the longest time we were trying to the federal reserve is trying to create three percent inflation yeah we needed a little bit of inflation now we've already had enough inflation for everybody so you know they're now two two percent has always been the target mm-hmm. but in the lexicon of eco- economists having conversations um a two to three percent range is not on a, a completely unhealthy yeah with a little bit of a little bit of growth in fact you know the um for borrowers, largest borrowers, especially um, governments, um, mm-hmm. the, the U.S. government, you know, we want a little bit of inflation. That's you know, that's good to you know inflate the the debt away. Yeah. Um, but they also want rates to be somewhat moderate. And so, you know, can we? I guess where where do things normalize? And that is, is that they're going to stay higher, as in higher than they are today, where they are today, or lower than they are today, but higher relative to the last decade. And Probably the, the last. The la- two. Yeah, I think I I think it's the 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 latter. I, I think yeah. that I can see rates coming, and I've seen people. Say, I mean, I think um, Bill Bill Ackman and mm-hmm. some others are saying the rates are going to continue. They're going to move up some more. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe we're going to be in this you know wage price spiral. You know, maybe if energy really spikes, you know, we yep. could really see some inflation. If we don't have this recession, we're just as you said, Matt, we're just going to kind of keep growing, and there's not it's not going to get flushed out. Um, but I, 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 I just, I, I don't see the specific drivers, mm-hmm. um, but you know, again, I want to be humble. I don't know. The only reason why I, I even am entertaining this fanciful yeah. idea of higher for longer is because it helps to explain what we've seen in the past, in the first half of 2023. Yeah. You know, yeah. we had this in what if, you know, the fed toys with tweaking it down just a little bit and then we see. You know, we see yeah. so much activity from all this pent up demand. Yeah. So uh, who knows? But I think it would be a little more positive than a recession. But it would it would involve a lot of buyers and sellers in the in the multifamily market and in the, in the cons- 
uh, CRE markets yep. to change a lot of their math, a lot of their assumptions in a yep. way that they they wouldn't if there was a recession, which is weird. Yeah, very, very, very true. Um, I, I think we'll, I will, we shall see. And, and again, the other factor I keep thinking about, we're just talking about all, you know, aliens and technology, but, you know, more seriously, I, I, I think that the technology that is coming out mm-hmm. with, with AI being yeah. you know, a big part of it um, and other advances in, you know, hard material science and mm-hmm. all of the categories you know, surrounding it, these are all major deflationary advances. Yeah. Now, it takes time for all of that to actually be developed, industrialized, and seep into the economy. Yeah. I think AI is the one that can really be accelerated pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. That story's real yet to be fully written, though, of what that looks like. Yeah. My, but there, I just, we have to keep in mind, you know, again, we don't know if it's one, three, five, seven, ten years, but that is going to have a downward pressure on inflation mm-hmm. because we're talking about being much more productive. We're talking about cheaper cost of goods to produce everything, mm-hmm. um, cheaper energy, faster everything, potentially. Um, Again, we don't we don't know all the details, but um, if we took all that out in a normal kind of large business cycle, mm-hmm. it would be appropriate for rates to stay longer for higher and yeah. to go back to that regime. But are we on a you know technology super cycle of just exorbitant amount of pressure yeah. that will keep inflation at bay? Because you know, yeah, the because who cares about oil spiking if we can you know if we have you know not unlimited yeah. sources of energy but if we can make things so efficient really great we batteries. store energy i mean the batteries it's going to be an exponential change potentially yeah. with this lk99 which is this potential this material that is relatively um I, the ingredients are, are very they're everywhere it's mm-hmm. you know it's like you know three three ingredients it's copper and a couple other couple other things yeah um that's super conductive at room temperature um, which we completely yeah way the chain way we make computers yeah batteries interesting what everything it, it, copper and lead yeah it's copper it's copper lead and I think some it's something else doesn't need like cobalt or or lithium no no like no rare, rare earth minerals very yeah. widely available um and it just it just I guess the manufacturing process is it, it's relatively quick it takes like thirty hours to like yeah. you put it into an oven once you get the the right combination of materials but I, I I've it can be challenging to, I guess the the kilning or the the you know the baking process. If you yeah. do it, there are you can mess it up, I guess. Mm-hmm. And so that that process has to be refined because once this paper was released by this group of scientists in um, South yeah, they Korea, like a free version or something. They, or? they kind of put it out there. I guess that there was a big rush. I guess they were like they'd been working on it. They first discovered this apparently in like 1999, but then like they couldn't get a they couldn't like re- reproduce it, and they kind of was like a side project. And they've been, but then they started back work back working on it in the last couple of years, mm-hmm. and apparently there was like a disagreement between some of the scientists that left, and then there was a rush to put put the paper out, yeah, because they wanted to make they wanted to get credit for it for the Nobel Prize. Yeah, I, I, that's what I thought. Yeah. yeah, he was worried that they would beat him to the punch, and so he yeah. released this open. So yeah, yeah. But then, so it's been the experiment has been like replicated in other labs with some having success, some not. Mm-hmm. But there's enough independent labs that have had success that, okay, there's probably something there, but... Yeah. People but, are talking about it a whole lot more than some of these 
is these rando announcements that you get from, you know, a small lab that says, oh, we got it, we got, well, we can't show you it, yeah. but. <laughs> but, um, I mean, the way that it's described is, is that it's hard to imagine the advances that could come out of it if it is real. Yeah. Um, but it, it would be the way it's been explained to me is mm -hmm. literally could be moving technology ahead a hundred years. Wow. And like moving towards like the, as I've heard others describe Star Trek. Yeah. Economy. Yeah. Like major reduction in scarcity. That's just great. very cheap energy. Um, everything's gonna be faster. Flying cars, yeah, yeah, maglev, all, all, all of that. Well, all these dream stuff, but then I think you led with the right one, which is AI, which is a very real thing that has it's not even a year old and, in terms of the popular. There's no like part in that, and I know we're going back and forth, yeah, it, but yeah, so it's like that's all at least years, if mm -hmm. not a decade plus, to change the how you know the world, you yeah. know, the, the material changes in production, but on the AI, it's just all software. And it seemingly can be integrated. Now, we don't know, sure, what to use it for and how mm -hmm. to integrate it. But the rate of adoption is incredible. Yeah. And I think we're having the right conversations about how to use it and yeah. what it what it does and what it could be. You know, I said it's like not a year old. That's not true. But it's, you know, the big public release of it was, you know, in the December or yeah. November yeah. last year. What I'm thinking of is like, we haven't even scratched the surface of, of the best ways to use it. I think, I think people are still using it to like write an email or, or summarize something when we're going to get to a point where, you know, where every company has a little AI buddy that can comb through and do whatever you, you know, and do little dumb grunt work, uh, that yeah. sift through all the data and make, and make d decisions that you approve of or whatever, get a little co-pilot. Um, that's a lot more robust and a lot more useful than yeah, what we have. No, right everyone's now. yeah, everyone should have is going to have a an AI assistant that will actually be useful. Uh, yeah. And think about like you, you and I'm thinking about from like a you know running a business business perspective. You know, you have a new hire, they come in, and you know it, it's hard to help somebody that you're training. You know, it takes a lot of time and effort. Yeah, um, which is good. You need to have the person person. I'm not saying you you replace that, but if like you came in on a new job. Or you've been there for a while, it doesn't matter. But if you're in a new job and you have a little assistant, a, like the, like a built-in mentor guide, knows everything yeah. about the company, including the, the little nuances. So you could ask it, uh, you know, tell me about um, taking your PTO or my benefits. Yeah, yeah. HR questions. Where's so you shared folder. Where is the shared folder? How, you know, how do we write our emails? Mm -hmm. You know, what is, do, what type of lunch places does the team like to go out to it's like well yeah. looking at everyone's calendar for the last two years and you know, these are some popular spots <laughs> yeah yeah stuff like you know if it could go into that amount of detail what are our policies on this hey i'm doing yep. this task for the first time what are some what do i need to know what what are my first um couple steps mm -hmm. and so instead of having to go to um you know your, your boss and ask him something that like maybe you sh think that you should know you can just go to your assistant now a caveat is you still need to interact with humans because there are always going to be nuances that you'll miss. And like we, we, there's always going to be a balance. Well, that's what I was thinking is, you know, there's going to be such a, or at least for me, it's like, I, I think a lot about accountability and attribution when you're dealing with AI, you know, you can't just say, oh, it stole the copyright. Um, the, I'm blaming on AI. Well, now it's your responsibility if you use that AI, you put your name on it, yeah. and you you know it's a co-pilot. It's you should have it. It, it um you, you don't turn the keys over to yeah, yeah. exactly no I I agree well it would be like 
do a report and I went to Wikipedia and I just copied and pasted all just the Wikipedia article. Yeah. It's like, okay, no, that's check not, it over. Like, but at least rewrite it, yeah, reformat yeah. it and, yeah. you know, go to the sources that it cites and look at, look at those, yeah. you know, yeah. do, do some work. It still requires work, but man, it can give you a big, um, it really helped you get, I, I found it to be the most useful in helping start tasks. Yeah. Uh, like I'm at the beginning of something. It's a little, maybe it's a little bit new. Give me the outline and it, foothold. It, it, gives sure. you, it gives you a great foothold and, and rarely, if ever, has it been like, this is it, I'm done. Yeah. But it's like, well, this is a really great jumping off point. And now I'm going to tweak it a little bit and I'm going to take this one and I'm going to extrapolate on it. And then I'm going to take it out on my own and just redo it. And yep. then I might dump it back in at the end and be like, fix my grammar or I'm, am I missing anything? Mm -hmm. Um, Don't, and I wouldn't shortchange your own role. I think that people are saying, I, I say, I, I asked, I asked, you did it. Just take credit for it. That's, no, I don't, yeah. Exactly. No, I, I think, um, yeah, the art of the prompt, if you think about it, is it any different from, you know, again, the, the, they're large language models, mm -hmm. you know, what we're talking about. Is it any different from having a conversation with a person Yeah. and the subtle differences that spoken and unspoken language can make and infer yeah. and can inv invoke different responses mm -hmm. like and if someone's being interviewed um there's a difference between really good interviewers and just average interviewers yeah yeah you can ask the same series mm -hmm. of questions but it's it's the specific way mm -hmm. that you ask the order of the words well and, and i always thought this too when we were starting is like also learning to stop when something's good enough or learning to, mm. or learning, you know, oh no, this needs a little bit more of this or that, you know, yeah. you've got to be a good reader and a good writer. Um, and maybe, give good feedback. Yeah. And give like, like, okay, this is good, but change this about, it. and know what mm -hmm. the things that you can't even change. Yeah. What those variable variables are, whether it's tone, this style. Is words. I, I still don't, there's to, to make the, the AI pictures you have, got, there are so many, it's like computer code. And so I don't. Yeah. It is. Yeah. That. Yeah. Okay, Matt, real page. As mm -hmm. annual rent growth slips below 1%, how much further could rents cool? So um, I thought that this was a really- a classic stock image. Yeah, 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 yeah. The, the invisible touch Real estate. <laughs> the, yeah, yeah, yeah. That is actually like a big brand of, <laughs> of stock One image. One day. Anyway, Jay Parsons, um, very popular guy in the multifamily- um, uh, industry from his great analysis that he just keeps pumping out on LinkedIn, but obviously he is with real patient, right? Some good, does some good research himself. We probably last, last week we commented on a LinkedIn post oh, from, yeah. from Jay Parsons that was probably a draft of this. Um, he covered a lot. I've, I've noticed yeah. he does that sometimes, which I, which is great. Yeah. It helps flush out the ideas, gets the conversation going. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. So, um, and he, and he is great interacting on LinkedIn. He like, it's so a too. great yeah. example of somebody that really knows how to work LinkedIn. I mean, you mm -hmm. make a comment like on his post, he is going to respond to it at some point. Yeah. Especially if it's thoughtful. Yeah. He's, he's, he's got a big following too. I, I wonder if that's part of his job, right? Hopefully he gets paid. Yeah. He does it for fun. No. I mean, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, yes, I, I, I think I think that he has fun. I think he enjoys it, but it is also his job. Yeah, yeah, just yeah. like this. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. We're I mean, we're having fun. Yeah, we're having fun. Yeah, um, but it is also a job. It is. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I, I just so actually my my, my uh, daughter thinks mm -hmm. this is like thinks that YouTube is like the job. Yeah. I'm like, it is like something that Matt Unless... and I do once a week. Yes, is <laughs> one, one of oh, one man, of many it, things that goes on. But it's a sweet gig. She thinks that I go on YouTube and I'm a, a head soccer coach. That may be in Germany. <laughs> I take my six week yeah, yeah. Uh, holiday. Yeah. 
but yeah, um, back to the to the real page. They've got year over year rank growth at 0.78 for July. So uh, positive, but barely positive. Really covers the same regional differences we've mentioned a bunch of times here. Midwest and Northeast doing better. Sunbelt cooling. West cooling a little bit more. Um, what I think that was really notable, and you can see if you scroll down a little bit how much the uh, red growth is, is going down. And, um, and it's and what I am wondering is... But it's also, this is all year over year. So we've got a base yeah. effect um, situation going on is, is that it's looking back a year to this crazy, mm -hmm. crazy spikes. Now, th this is what I think is, I think it'll be well worth comparing the rent growth of later this year as, as seasonal effects start to, you know, cut down on rent yeah, growth period. Right now, it's the last surge, mm -hmm. right? We're, we're witnessing the last surge before things really cool off. Yeah. So we might get to a point where there is negative monthly rent growth later this year, probably will. Which really, which will um, lead to a miss on a lot of the yearly yeah. rent growth projections that, that you know, when we covered those, Matt, and I know you'll remember, um, you know, January, January-ish, mm -hmm. it was three, everyone was calling for 3%. Yeah. Because they weren't really sure what was going to happen this year. Mm -hmm. um, so it was like 3% is the long-term average. Let's just it at that and it looks like we're on track to miss that yeah i mean we could get a little bit more but yeah you know so it's going to be a it's going to be a market by market thing because mm -hmm. i think that supply has been such a big factor for uh for rent growth this year unlike previous years where demand just powered through all new supply um but i want i i'm going to be watching closely how you know if we do have negative is it is it way more negative than it was in 2019 and 2018 so comparing this season's monthly rent growth yeah. to to the pre-pandemic uh, monthly rent growth of like the fall and winter, that's going to be really crucial to, to determining whether we are kind of correcting back from the cool yeah. down. It is amazing, man. You've brought this up a handful of times of, of like, if this is the correction, it's kind of a weak correction. And yeah. it's like kind of strong, kind of a strong correction. Well, if you wanna, I've compared to the, yeah. you know, the massive surge. And again, we put if you want to pull up the rent, the, the rent report, um, and you can see the, the curve on, um, on year over year rent growth, it, you know, usually the curve is the highest when you're dropping down, Yeah. but our curve, it's, our curve's kind of reversed. Like our cool off is gradual. The spike up was really dramatic. So, so again, the question is, you know, have we had the spike down or does that, does it, I mean, yeah, you would think that there's going to be a big spike down. Yeah. Yeah. And it, but there's not, but there's nothing in like the data other than just like a lot of averages and probabilities that it should do that. Yeah. Exactly. And is what, is what the, the, data is the showing. gradualness in of it could, is was probably helped by, you know, um, summer, summer rent growth patterns kind of bringing up rent growth period. Um, it, it does seem very overdetermined that it's going to dip a little bit into the negative year over year. Uh, yeah, I would compare to pre pre pandemic. That's the, that's the upshot. So really. 1.74, um, is our report. Um, year over year at, at real page is 0 0.78. So they've got a little, little bit less. Well, there, this is a year ahead of the data from our, from our report, but yeah. Got it. And, um, good news though. Um, they kind of bury bury it a little with the headline as a little bit negative how much you know how much worse can it get um but they're saying that the pace of the rent growth cooldown should level off just like we kind of said that and they also noted um that occupancy is evening out in a way that compares much more favorably to the lengthy fall off hmm. in um occupancy recorded throughout the year last year um so there was a big you know there was a 
there was a lot of occupancy that we missed. And, and that was a lot, even as rent growth was still quite high, demand was falling off a lot. Um, but we're, we're getting better. And, um, and you, like I said before, I wonder how much this is going to be this, how much this leads rent growth yeah. and, and, uh, and, and what we have for the future in, uh, you know, kind of with that and, I think, yeah, I think, I think the occupancies, I mean, are, are looking much more normal like they were pre-pandemic, yeah. um, but there's def, but we were so tight last couple of years. And so this, again, just is really kind of normalization. There's also a ton of supply coming online nationally, um, which is going to drive occupancies down. And, and again, but just relative to yeah. that supply pressure, correcting off a major, major wave of rent increases, the, um, while the performance is kind of tepid, Mm-hmm. relative to what we could see pretty strong songs nothing has yeah oh, i know yeah exactly we're we're, we're hoping that the, that the that the aliens when they come they've, they've got good news and uh they haven't heard us yet that's good no they're watching the report matt that's good <laughs> leave a we comment below <laughs> yeah yeah exactly um all right matt there's an ipa report institutional property advisors um Let's just do this one quickly. Um, yeah. Home ownership barriers help higher end rentals navigate um, some supply side pressure. Um, what, what's the skinny? So this uh, the sub subheading of this is uh, is really useful, and it does you know it does indicate how uh, how much. And CBRE said this too, how much the high mortgage rates have really helped luxury apartments, class A apartments. Yeah. And, and I think that this is especially fortuitous because this is coming at a time in which a bunch of apartments, a bunch of nice apartments have just been built and a bunch more are on the way. I was just talking, uh, talking with my family about, you know, about the, the new apartments coming in, in the suburb of Indianapolis, Carmel and how. You know, yeah. some of these, you know, some of these apartments are right near the highway. And I was like, oh, what, who's going to want to live? I was like, I told my parents, those new apartments, they're going to be the nice ones. The new ones are always the nice ones that yeah. may not shake out in the next five years or whatever. Um, but when they build them, they're class A. Yeah. Um, yeah, sure. Like square footage may be different. I don't know. But the yeah, they build them to be nice almost all the time. Unless there's a, you know, affordability. Oh, no, no. When we build our apartments, Matt, they're not. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, this is good. <laughs> yeah. Um, but look, I mean, look at this graph, the luxury rentals offer cost saving benefits. And we've looked at similar charts in the past map. I mean, look at that gap between a mortgage payment and your um, monthly rent payment. Again, two are like, man, rents are so high. It's like, yeah, but relative to buying and it's like shelter is shelter. So they need to be yeah. relative. Um, I think you could argue that the mortgage payment is really high, um, but people are still buying houses mm-hmm. and paying it. And the rent is... Yeah, it's not low. It's high, but again, relative to a mortgage, it is not as high. We'll say low, and that's a good unstated point. Um, I haven't seen a lot of people talking about is, you know, housing prices are still pretty high, and that's got to mean that's got to be a huge positive sign for the apartment market, even as apartment rents cooling. Uh, home prices are still high now. That could be a supply issue. But they certainly haven't fallen. And, you know, all things considered, what's changed is, is the interest rates have changed and gone up. The fact that they are still like, holding steady, maybe they've ticked down just a yeah, barely. Just, yeah, just so there's no, yeah, no crash and hardly even a correction. Yeah, yeah. And it almost makes me think that, that what this correction in rent growth, it's not due to declining housing demand as much as it is this kind of mathematical and supply driven 
correction of, you know, the crazy times that we had in the last yeah. year. I mean, for all the cold water that's been thrown at the housing market, mm-hmm. I mean, it's just, just, I mean, steamed it off, burned it off. It yeah. Just kept, bur- I mean, kept cooking. Yeah. Yeah. I think that they, they also have an interesting map that shows how demand has varied across the country. Um, apartment demand is not the same as rent growth. Um, and, and maybe there's a little bit of leading indicators some here in some ways here. Now, a, a lot of these are, uh, almost all of these are declining demand. It's just amount. It's just a question of how much has demand declined. Now, some of them, <laughs> it, it, it's either, uh, now some like San Francisco and Orange County, San Diego, and a collection of uh, markets in the Northeast, like Philadelphia, New York City, Baltimore, Virginia. Those are the ones um, that have declined vacancy or held flat. Most of this whole map is is increasing vacancy, yeah. and um, and it's it's clear places like Salt Lake City, vacancy is up more than 120 basis points. Phoenix, same case. Minneapolis, Charlotte, um, even Pittsburgh have uh, have had these jumps in vacancies. Yeah, I uh, but. If we if we look back to the real page trend where occupancy is starting to level off um, after after some severe dips, when at the same time rent growth was growing, you know, by leaps and bounds. So this may be a bit of a leading indicator. I think that if we track this over time, that we may, you know, we're getting to a normal market. And and yeah, and I don't feel I feel like that's interesting to say because the market's been not normal enough. Um, but I also feel pretty confident that we are because all of these all of these charts it seems like things are really leveling out in a way. And the fundamentals make sense. The there's a lot of, you know, the greater economic environment makes sense. All of these things. Uh, if we're talking about rent growth, like things seem like they're coming back to normal. It, it's got to have some weird thing that happens that throws it off, even even with with uh, supply coming, you know, at an incredible rate. So 3 percent rent growth. No, 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 three percent. Yeah, <laughs> I I do think you know, it, it, and this is the realist in me, is rent growth nationally will be lower than that than pre-pandemic averages because of the huge supply. But you know, there's some this it it's due to the massive amount of supply in certain select markets. True, very true. And then we were looking at national averages, even yeah. up a little bit. But yeah, those certain markets that are seeing a deluge of supply, mm-hmm. they're just going to obviously perform a little bit differently. Um, and again, it comes back to a question, you know, with all things being relative and correlated, if, if we, if we are seeing inflation be sticky at, you know, if, if in a 2% inflation world, we Mm -hmm. saw rent growth at 3%, those are the standard assumptions. Then in a 3% inflationary environment is normal rent growth still three. That's a really good point. I mean, it's some simple algebra, right? Yeah. Ooh, that's a hot take. That's a take of the day. Hmm. You know, as we, yeah, in a higher, if high, if it's higher for longer, one of those higher things is going to be rent growth. Yeah. I mean, if we're seeing, I mean, if we're saying that inflation is going to be sticky and it's going to be around for a while, which will be pushing on wages. One of the things I was thinking of throughout, throughout my notes too, and this is more as it relates to cap rates, is like, you know, if these interest rates stay higher, it's just go to the risk-free rate. I don't have to work at all. And you're telling me that... You're telling me I have to do work for these returns and I don't have to do any work for this return. Yeah, I see multifamily deals being shopped out there for, you know, two, three percent cash on cash return and I get almost six percent 
in a one, you know, five and a half in a one month T bill. Yeah. Yeah. So I still, so I know it's not total. I mean, we're comparing yield and, um, total return, which aren't good metrics. Well, we're talking, we're comparing yield and yield, but just, you know, I could buy a, it could go out on the, um, maturity curve on a bond. If rates come in, I could, you know, sell for a pretty nice total return also. It's just, so again, there's just relative to other opportunities out there. Um, we, the current environment, we should, you should be doing deals with the, have really strong cash flow. Yeah. Yeah. And look for cash flow. And, you know, even in a six months out, these sellers are going to be facing this high interest rates as, you know, it's not going to, it's, it's not going to improve within, in 2023. And I have a feeling, yeah, it it will well into 2024. We'll see, we'll see higher interest rates unless there's, you know, some, some major crisis. You know, I do, I do think about, uh, what is the, the booklet that we, when, when a property goes to market and a broker is giving you a little booklet, has pictures and has, you know, okay. Offering memorandum. I, 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 I was looking for that word choice and I keep saying that the last page of some of these Matt is does. like, Matt has been in the industry for a while, folks. Don't worry. <laughs> the OM. I was like, uh, the, you know, the offering memorandum, the, um, and so I always think of the last page of it as like, well, you know, they have like potential strategies for this property. Yeah. And, you know, if their cap rates are that low, uh, sometimes I think like, well, a potential strategy is, um, you could find a rich vein of platinum in the property and that would, that would significantly up your NO. There might be oil under the, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Know. Yeah. Okay. Could strike oil. You could put solar panels here. <laughs> That's the other thing you could have, uh, you could use like carpet scraps for a really, a really cost effective renovation, <laughs> but, uh, there's, you know, it's hard to get those NOIs up to justify well, the cap rates. It surprised me that brokers can be creative. Yeah. You know, that's okay. I'll have to talk to some of our broker friends about finding oil. Have you ever ever thought that's a good scenario? I mean, (laughs) just you have to, we recommend, you know, doing, having a, verifying yourself, but uh, we don't know that there's not oil. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh, Hard to prove a negative. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I guess you can dig it up. Mineral rights. You have to do your environmental survey anyway. Yeah, that's a good point. Um. Everyone, make sure you hop on over to greatcapitalllc.com slash rent-report to download the latest report and research brief from Great Capital. It's really well done. Um, it, it's You're going you're gonna to love it. Let us know what you think. Um, make sure you sign up for the newsletter, greatcapitalllc.com, or quicker, just greatcap.net. Super quick and short. But you're already here. Subscribe to YouTube. Leave us a comment. Um, man, we've been derelict in uh, getting back. We've been we respond on YouTube, but we need to bring all the comments. Do a little uh, little yeah. segment. We could have maybe an extra video we do later this week. That's a good idea. Yeah, so that's a good idea. Um, yeah, leave a comment. Let us know. And then um, next week, Thursday, August seventeenth at two p.m. Eastern, we'll be going live on YouTube, Matt, to do a whole little exactly. webinar thing on the rent rent report. You let me in. Yeah, you're you're in. Oh, you're, you're, you're in. I got I gotta bring you in here. Live. Gotta, I'm gonna be live. That's great. It's gonna be live. Anything could we, happen. We did it live before. It was it was fun. It was different. Well, great. Um, it's gonna work out. Oh, yeah, we've done a did we we did a live one here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A live version of the Great Report. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. For um, the FOMC meeting. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It'll be fun. Yeah. Appreciate your um your viewership. We'll see you next time on the Great Report.